Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, Bamboo HR Head of HR, Mason Colliero, Greenhouse Leadership Talent Acquisition Manager, and Vanessa Brulat, Bamboo HR Human Resource Business Partner, discuss how to get the best hire, recruiting advice from the pros. In this episode, you'll learn how to eliminate bias in hiring, implement quiet hiring best practices, and score interviews and candidates to find the best new hire. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'd like to welcome Mason Caliero, and I'm sorry if I butchered your name, Mason. Um, No, you got it. Oh, good. And Mason is a leadership talent acquisition manager at Greenhouse. Welcome, Mason. We are so excited you're here. Do you want to take a few minutes and give our audience a quick introduction? Sure. Um, Thanks, Vanessa and Anita. I'm super excited to be here. Just a bit about me. I have a diverse, nonlinear career that's rooted in all things people. My journey spans hospitality, agency recruiting, executive operations, and roles at both small and scaling SaaS businesses. But I think that my people philosophies were really solidified from my agency recruiting days, where I learned a lot about an exceptional candidate experience, one that's rooted in critical feedback and feed forward, and a strong emphasis on long-term relationship building. So while I have a lot of experience in GNA recruiting, have a little bit of experience with technical recruiting and also leadership hiring more recently. And right now I'm living my best life at Greenhouse um, where my people first principles and values are celebrated. Beyond work, I love nature and community and tarot and Uh, little moments with my baby and her family. So that's a little bit about me. That's so fun. How old's the baby? Well, I don't know if you can say baby when they're running, jumping. Uh, She's 18 months. That's so fun. That's the, it's all ages are fun ages. That's great. That's a great one. Congrats. Thanks. Well, and I have to tell you, Mason, I have mad respect for anybody that's done third-party recruiting because (laughs) (laughs) that world is tough. You have to be tough to survive. Like I just, anybody who, who has done that in their past, like you get, you get like a special big heart. Like here's the (laughs) heart. You get like a bigger heart. (laughs) Well, just that's actually after I did agency recruiting for three years, that's when I taught yoga for a year and a half. I had to take a little bit of a reset, recharge, reorient. Um, so it is tough for sure. I I can totally see that bamboo became my yoga for, for a while. Like (laughs) I almost said Yoda. You can see how I have the star Wars brain. I always mix them. So if you hear me say Yoda, I'm really saying yoga. Uh, (laughs) Well, we are so happy to have you join us today, Mason. I'm so excited to hear your insights and experience on recruiting. This is the perfect episode to have you on. So let's get started. I I want to start out today with a few tips and best practices like we were talking about before for finding the right new hire. I know it's very important for audience members. So out of the gate, let's start with your uh, top tips. Mason? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have four great tips to really set your search off to a good start and help you find the right hire. First, it starts with a kickoff meeting. That's a conversation between the hiring manager and the recruiter, because if you don't know what the hiring manager is looking for, odds are against you to be able to find the right hire. So some key things to ask in this conversation. What's the business need? What are the key objectives for this hire? What's the ideal profile? And what are some of the attributes they need to be successful in the role? Once you have that, 
you can then write a really great job description. So remember that a job description is a marketing material that candidates look at to evaluate if they're interested. So be sure to use inclusive language, avoid jargon. And at Greenhouse, we use Textio for this reason. Um, Anita, I think you're pretty passionate about writing good job descriptions. Is there anything you wanted to add? I am so passionate about this. And we also use a tool to help us write job descriptions, but it is a marketing tool. It is like posting a job ad. I remember there, um, there's this snippet of a job description from the early 1900s about an expedition where it was like, I want you to come on this expedition. Chances of coming home are low. Uh, ability to achieve something great is high. Ability to like withstand significant outdoor elements is high. But it was like, it was literally so short. And I think sometimes we just overthink the job description and we actually don't deliver what we're selling. And so candidates get in, if we talk about candidates leaving in, in 30 days, I think it's because sometimes they feel they got sold a bag of goods that wasn't accurate. And so yes. I know this sounds like, yes, the William Shackleton job description, please Google it. <laughs> it's amazing. But you, it, if you haven't spent time writing job descriptions lately, I would encourage you to get back to it. I'd encourage you to do another cycle on it um, because it is such a great way to attract the talent that you're looking for. Definitely. Thanks for adding all that. I I didn't know about that job description and now I'm going to like know what my afternoon break is going to entail. Um, the third thing I wanted to recommend is creating a scorecard with standardized interview kits. This is really the foundation of a structured hiring process. So you'll want to map out the qualifications, the technical and interpersonal skills, document what your team is looking for, and then create standard interview questions that evaluate the attributes you're looking for. So you've got all these um, checkpoints to make sure you're all aligned. Then you share it out with the hiring team. And the hiring team is anyone who will interview a candidate. You're sending it out at the beginning of a search before they start speaking with candidates to make sure that everyone knows their roles and responsibilities and make sure that when it comes to making a decision, we know what's been covered. So we call this like a role is live email at Greenhouse. And we send that once the job is approved and, and actively uh, starting to speak with candidates. So I know that these four steps sound like a lot of upfront work, and it is. Like it takes time to get a search off to a good start, but it'll set you up for success in your candidate calls and in supporting the decision-making process of who to hire. And I always think of the Benjamin Franklin quote, um, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail because this is the planning work that needs to happen to successfully hire uh, the right new hand, right new candidate. So that's my favorite thing mantra when I'm doing all this work. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be my new favorite quote because when you said that, I'm like, yeah, that applies to so many things. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, these are really awesome tips, and I especially resonate with creating scorecards for interviews. It can really help standardize the process, like you said, and give the interviewer direction on what they're supposed to be looking for in the interview. And there's a there's a really great quote. Uh, it's from the book, The Who Book by Jeff Smart and Randy Street, and it talks about hiring for the A players. And it says, scorecards are your blueprint for success. They take the theoretical definition of an A player and put it into practical terms for the position you need to fill, which, which makes this such an important step in that process. And so Anita, anything you'd like to add here, tips for finding the right new hires? 
Yes. So I just want to double down on, I know this sounds like a lot of work. I just want to emphasize that these four things, so just in summary, because there's some questions, set a kickoff meeting, write better job descriptions, create a scorecard, and inform the team that they're going to be involved in interviewing happens all before you post the job. So I want you to think about it. If you were spending $100,000 of your own money on an investment or something, a purchase, what would you be doing to ensure that that purchase generates the rate of return that you think is right for you? So you're spending $100,000 of company dollars that could be going anywhere else. It could be going to product. It could be going to customer success. It could be going to your own team. You're investing in this hire, and it's really our responsibility to make sure that we're helping to get the most out of this hire. So how can you get your team members to help you go out and find that right person is, I mean, I know referral bonuses seem old and boring, but it's still a great way to generate a candidate pool. Top channels people use to look for a new job online are job boards. And also word of mouth is still ranked at 58%, right? People still call me all the time and they're like, do you know of something? Because oftentimes we in this community will hear of things coming up in the future. So keeping that network really warm is important. Mason really talked about this focus on the candidate experience. You want to make sure that you're really nurturing your candidate as the customer. You want to make sure that you're outlining the process, what they can expect, when the communication will come in. I don't think often enough we look at our automated emails that come back and say, hey, you're moving through or you're not moving through. Do those sound on brand? Like your partnership with marketing through this whole experience is so important that your brand to the candidates matches the brand to the customer. You want to move quickly. Top candidates are only available for 10 days before being hired. So if you don't have your ducks in a row, that's why you want to do all those four tips that Mason gave to you. If you don't have your ducks in a row, you'll miss out on the best talent. And when you add people in, you're going to find people that are additive to your culture and team member engagement. You know, that's what you want to have people do is add in. So you know, one thing I like to do is go through, you can see our values are in the room behind me. You go through Make It Count. I showed you the value cards that we did um, and sent out to all of our leaders two weeks ago. You know, create values-driven interview questions where you have to ask the candidate, for example, like Mason, what does Make It Count look like to you? And what was something you did in your last job that you were really proud of that really delivered the impact that you had in mind? Have them give an example of what they did. And those are some things I think that can really help you find that next right talent. One thing I'll uh, I'll add there that wasn't covered from either of us is to source, right? Like so often we wait for the inbound applicant, but like go out to the market, see who you can find and calibrate, show a couple profiles to your hiring manager. Like, am I on the right track? Does this look right? And then, um, you know, see if you can engage those folks in initial conversations. And if you can see they have what you're looking for, then you don't need to, to wait for the candidates to come to you. I can't believe we left that off the list. It kind of, Oops. <laughs> yeah, uh, you've got a source. And then, you know, something to uh, Vanessa, I encourage Vanessa to do is keep a list of all the people, you your dream team that you'd love to work with. And you're constantly nurturing that pipeline because timing and hiring is everything, you know? So if you have a dream list of people that you want to work with and you're always interacting with them, when they become available 
you're the first person they call. In fact, if I lose somebody that's been at Bamboo, this just happened to me. We lost somebody, huge, regrettable turnover for us, a real loss for Bamboo. And in the exit interview, I asked them, I said, if it doesn't work out at company X, would we be your first call back? And they said, yes. And so that tells me, okay, we, 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 we missed on a few things. They left, they're going to go try something else, but I want to be the first call back. I don't mind a great boomerang, but we've always got to be nurturing that great talent. Well, that, that kind of leads into one of the, the questions before we get to that next section is uh, from Chloe Best said, how do you handle or navigate hard to hire passive candidates? Is there another approach to finding that talent? And it kind of has two components to it because it's kind of that that sourcing method. There's there's an approach like discovery hire where, you know, like with your your planning throughout the year that, you know, you've got different roles coming up and you know that maybe they're going to be harder to fill because it's all about that workforce plan and getting ahead of that and thinking about what is my strategy? OK, well, we got to think about the recruitment strategy. And, you know, it might take six months for a particular role. Do you give yourself enough leadway time to where it's not going to affect like the business and how it functions? And so taking those things into account, but then with passive employees and uh, sorry, uh, Mason, I almost said Chloe. I don't know why. I think I looked at your (laughs) Caliero and I was like, Chloe, (laughs) but Mason, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because like with passive candidates, you, you can't approach them like you would a regular candidate. You it's, it's again, going back to that dating (laughs) relation there. It's, it's somebody that you're, you can't just be like, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to set up a call for us at 6 PM. Let me know if that works. It's like, no, like you've got to really nurture that relationship. And that takes time uh, and a lot of effort. You're, you're courting that person. I, hopefully everybody can relate to this, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, really courting that candidate and making sure you're taking that extra TLC to helping them get that buy-in. And like what Anita, you had mentioned too, is like creating that, generating that list, starting that networking early on and creating those relationships because then by the time you've got something, those passive candidates become active candidates. Mason, do you have any thoughts there? When I'm reaching out, I use a Calendly link so they can grab time. There's no friction of back and forth of scheduling because for passive candidates, any point of friction, not not their time, not their not important for them. So make it easy. Um, and then the second thing is my Calendly link says the first 15 minutes will me will be me sharing and answering your questions. We're not even jumping into the interview in this call unless you opt in and say like, yeah, based on what we covered, I'm interested. But it's your job as a recruiter to have a compelling pitch to tell why the company is great to be able to showcase why this opportunity is compelling, and then. Hopefully they're like, yeah, I want to spend more time with Mason and team to learn more. And so that's when you can shift into the actual interview. It's a little bit more gentle. You're not trying to go on a first date. You're just saying like, can we meet for coffee? You know? <laughs> so, so this is my only, my only little push. I know we all yeah. have a great tool. I think you have to be specific when you're looking at more entry level versus more senior senior talent. I know for me, if somebody sends me the Calendly link as a passive candidate, I'm like, no. I like, I want to know that you really want to spend time with me. And the Calendly link lands for me sometimes as a, like a spray and pray where mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, do you really want to talk to me? Do you really want my perspective on what's happening here? Like, let's be more intentional, but maybe I'm just old school. So I'm open to the pushback too. But I think sometimes that's kind of like knowing your customer a little bit of like, what's going to land for them in it. Totally. I think I generally have like a 20 to 30% book rate, which means Ooh, people who good. received my email, 
20 to 30% want to jump on a call. But I think I take a very structured and specific approach when sending messaging. Like it's tailored, it's thoughtful, it's about them, just so that it doesn't feel like spray and pray. So I think that there is like some nuance there. I love that, Mason. And I appreciate the push. I love that though. That's what's special about what you do is because very few people, I don't think I've ever seen like, this is what you can count on from our call. This is the first 15 minutes. I want my intention in sending you this link is so that the time works best for you. Like that, that's, that's that marketing voice, Mason, that you're so excellent at coming through. So be intentional about what you want to get and how you get them and then track the rate. Like what a super metric that you've got that type of response rate. That means your messaging is working. Thank you. Yeah, it, it you triggered a thought in my brain because uh, it's been a minute since I've I've been in the recruiting world, but it made me think of a, a strategy that might work for some people. If you ever use LinkedIn Recruiter Lite or just have a recruiter, what is it called? Um, license <laughs> on on LinkedIn. <laughs> Words are coming back to me. I just came back from vacation, so Vanessa's work brain is just turning on this morning. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you have LinkedIn and you get all those emails as a recruiter. Uh, it was it was super helpful because let's say workforce planning, we've got a big hard to hire fill coming up and we know that we have we need to hire it in the next three months because we just didn't have the enough leeway that we thought we would. You know, when you're looking at the strategy, you know, prior to planning everything, think about your planning for reaching out to the passive candidates before, because that's where you get to diversify your talent pool as well and reach out to a lot more people. Because if you give yourself like maybe a two to three week track before you start posting online and you're reaching out to candidates with emails on LinkedIn, you give that time to where you're, they're going to respond to you in those two to three weeks. And then you can jump on those calls and then they're right in line with all the, the public posts where everybody's applying there. And so it's kind of a great cadence. It doesn't work every single time because that's the perfect scenario. Uh, with with those that those time frames, but just be thinking about that strategy, and and I like yes 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 yeah yeah just yes. <laughs> um, and Mason, I love that you talked about personalizing Calendly as well because like personalizing the the LinkedIn emails. My favorite thing, I will respond so fast to anyone who took the time to read my profile. I make it so easy. I quote four <laughs> movies including Kung Fu Panda. And I've <laughs> had two people in the seven years I've been at Bamboo actually read my profile and say, hey, you like Kung Fu Panda. I like it too. Like are getting 20 sales in mails now that reference Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They're like, I know how to get Vanessa. <laughs> but, but it's so true. As soon as you personalize it, it can go down to who are they following? What are their interests? How can you pull that in and tie it in? Hey, we don't know each other, but I feel like we'd be best friends, you know, <laughs> using some of those tactics, but it, I mean, it's a tactic, but it's also, are you genuine behind the message? And when you personalize that, you're going to get more of that response. Like your response rate is awesome with Calendly and everything. And so I just like, that just made me think of that whole process that I went through um, with that, but any final thoughts on this part as before we move forward to part two? Just one small thing at Greenhouse, it's best practice and standard practice to not post the role until you've sourced for at least two weeks. And for leadership exactly. hiring, like I never post the roles because we really are focused on adding diversity to our leadership roles. So since we take that really seriously, like I am sourcing, which is why I have to get good at it, which is why my my pass through rate is good. But yeah, I, I think it really does matter to like 
have the strategy and set that expectation with your hiring manager. Hey, we're not going to post this for two weeks. We're going to focus on sourcing. I love that. That is a great way to think about it, Mason. And I just look at our jobs as leaders. We have two jobs always for every single people leader. We sell our product, recruit great talent. And so you're always in market taking taking calls, recruiting. I at least spend probably, I don't know, three three hours a week, I would say, on either like uh, targeted hiring role sourcing, like things I'm doing for future positions that are coming in, or just expanding my network around people and skill sets that we may need in the future. And I think it's just a really important habit to work in as a people leader. And I saw one in here from Natalie, I just want to add to is, you know, I work in a very traditional organization. Managers still have it. It's the privilege to work with me mentality. And this doesn't work for passive recruiting. And I would say then you're never really going to get top talent because top talent isn't actively looking like they're always employed. And so I just think then you're going to sacrifice maybe on what you really need. And I want to know, even if they're not available to me today, like, um, you know, we're sourcing for a position right now. And I just asked my network, I'm like, who is the best at this? And I get five names and then I go and call those people. I'm like, how are you doing? Like, let's check in the relationships that I have, whether they're interested or not. Then I get a next, I get my next pool of possible candidates. And I get people actively talking about bamboo in the market. So I think that's what you give up on from that traditional of like greatness will come to me. I just don't think top talent operates that way. Plus one. Plus one, plus two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we have lots of good insights here. I love that that, uh, side, side path that we took. So merging back onto the freeway here, we've talked about quiet hiring before, but I'd love a refresh here, especially as we consider it as part of recruiting when budgets are tight. And sometimes you can't go out and buy the talent you need. Anita, can you refresh our memories on your top three tips for quiet hiring? Yes. So you can go back. We did a whole episode on this with Kelsey Tarp. So you can go back and watch it. If you're not familiar, I encourage it that you do. Quiet hiring can happen internally or externally. So we're talking about top talent. So it's like, hey, I really like Mason. We did this episode together. I know that I'm going to have an opening and I'm going to call Mason and say, will you apply for this job? And like in my mind, I already know that Mason is my person. So that would be like a quiet tap on the shoulder. I'm going to put her through a process, but I'm really already like, hey, I'm just checking the boxes here because Mason's my person. I could do the same thing for Vanessa. She's inside and I could be like, Vanessa, we have this role opening. I really want Vanessa to do it. And I'm kind of tapping on the shoulder. And this is it. I've done I've done it both. Right. Like we're, we're always an HR unplugged. We're in a no judgment zone. But these are the things I want you to be aware of when you engage in this. You have to keep the interview process the same. And if you know that you're going to hire that person, why do you waste everybody's time by running them through a process? Like you should basically just say, hey, we're not going to run a process. I'm just going to pick the person that I want and put them in the job. Right. Like to me, that's where we've got to get to like a real sense of transparency. And I always me, I want my say do ratio to be high. So I want to say and do exactly what we're doing. So I'm just going to say, like, I'm not going to go out to search. I'm going to shoulder tap this role. It's super business critical. We don't have time for a search. And I know this candidate is in market and is available. And that's what we're going to do. I sacrifice bias. I sacrifice diversity. I sacrifice inclusion. 
I sacrifice other people inside bamboo and outside bamboo that may or may not be qualified, but want to try and engage in that. You know, all of those things are cons to the process. Pros is that it's speed. You get somebody that you maybe worked with before. You get reduced onboarding time. You get um, faster time to value, all of those things. But I just want you to know kind of the, the pros and cons. So if you do engage with quiet hiring plus external hiring, you must keep the interview process the same because we're committed to consistency. If you are, I like being committed to consistency. You know, you have to be aware that high performers also, you know, need a new challenge. And the reason why you might engage in quiet hiring, because you want to grow somebody along in their career. But then that's assuming that other people don't want that. So you kind of get the extrovert in the pool versus maybe the introvert, which is also a bias. So I can argue myself all day on this, but I'm curious, Mason, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I mean, the pros and cons that you highlighted, the cons are actually very top of mind for me, right? Like, it's an entry point for bias. If you know someone, then you're, you know, biased towards thinking the good things about them. And so um, other candidates won't have a fair shot against it. So I had a lot of thoughts on that, but you covered them so succinctly. So I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I did want to add a couple of other things on quiet hiring that it's more related to the internal mobility and internal candidates. You know, we, at the end of 2022, we saw that our recruiting team was overstaffed based on the hiring plan we had for 2023. So we created what we called a seed program. At Greenhouse, we love a plant pun or a plant play on words, so hence the seed program. Um, and so our TA team met with different leaders across the business, and they mapped out different roles that TA folks could be qualified for based on the competencies and skills they possess in their current roles. So in this way, we were focused on competency-based hiring. We still ran a structured hiring process, but it was a way to leverage internal talent um, when we didn't necessarily have the budget to make external hires the next year. So um, I think that the leadership was incredibly proactive and creative to kind of take a structured, um, like programmatic approach to internal hiring. But I just wanted to like share that example because quiet hiring kind of seems like it's behind the scenes, but this is a way that it was like transparent and open and still creating value for the business. Another thing I wanted to add is like when you go through an internal process, like it's vulnerable. So you need to be really mindful of confidentiality if you are running a structured process and there's multiple people going through the pipeline. Um, so it's important for the hiring teams, recruiters, treat that with care, set expectations that you'll keep interview meetings private. Share that you won't send, you know, you, you won't blast this information out, that they have, you know, the right to share if they want to, but it'll be buttoned up from your side. So just, just keep confidentiality in mind. And then one last thing, similar to our programmatic internal hiring that we that I just mentioned, we recently started a new role that we hired internally for an internal mobility program manager. And so you know, we're a pretty mature organization with over 700 global employees, but we wanted to invest in internal mobility. It's a huge moment in the employee life cycle. So if you want to be best practice at all people things, then you should be really focused on a great internal process as well. I could keep going on this, but I think we should be mindful of time and the other topics that we promised our audience we cover. <laughs> Well, thanks, Mason. And yes, those are all very good things to bring up. And I, getting into part three, it's the best practices to eliminate hiring bias. And so I know we're all super psyched to get into this section. <laughs> 
it's juicy. So let's talk about best practices for eliminating hiring bias. Mason, I know you have some great insights to share here. What do you think HR professionals should be doing to eliminate hiring bias? I have a lot of thoughts here, but the first thing that comes to mind is let's go beyond eliminating hiring bias and build inclusive hiring practices. So not just take out the bad, but add in the good. So in the docs tab on your screen, if you navigate to that, you'll see that there's a couple of resources from Greenhouse that kind of showcase um, the way that scorecards can help eliminate bias. So definitely check those out. But I think, you know, I'll probably sound like a broken record, use a structured hiring process. Um, that's like the first piece. But, you know, our platform at Greenhouse, it facilitates a structured hiring process. There's scorecards. There's consistent questions that candidates are asked. Um, we have reporting functionality where we can look at demographics data. Just keep in mind that the demographics data is self-reported. That's optional for candidates during their application. And so we typically look at our pipeline by demographic data regularly throughout a search to see if we're if there's like a point in the process where folks from a specific group are falling out of the process. So if that happens, we in one example we saw. Um, at the take-home assignment, which is a part of every process at Greenhouse, folks from historically underrepresented groups were falling off. And this was like an evergreen role that we hire for all the time. So we looked at that take-home assignment instructions, and it was just full of jargon and tech jargon. And we weren't requiring tech experience. Like, why were those terms in there? They were alienating. They weren't inclusive. And so we took some time, revamped it, made it more inclusive, removed the jargon, and notice that we were able to like course correct that, that problem that we had seen. So if you have a structured hiring process, you can see where problems and bottlenecks occur. Another thing I'll add is that we should really be prepping candidates for their interviews. We want to set people up for success because people who maybe don't have friends that work at your company or in your industry or didn't attend a school where they received coaching on how to interview... Um, they're at a disadvantage in the interview process for people who have those resources. And typically those folks are folks from underrepresented groups. So we want to level the playing field, provide those resources, share that information. At Greenhouse, we, you know, we have a blurb with every interview that gets scheduled that shares what is the topic, who are they speaking with, what's their title, so that they have that information to like it's a really small lift for a huge impact on the candidate side to just share that information. And then we also have like a landing page on our website that says interviewing at Greenhouse. So candidates can see what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, we we share there that we're not trying to trick anyone. Like we just want to see the competencies that they have for the role. So the last thing I'll add uh, here before handing it over to Anita is that small changes really go a long way. You can create safe spaces by adding pronouns to your LinkedIn, Zoom, email signature, um, and go a step beyond. Have your hiring team do the same. You can also, you know, one thing that we do is ask what accommodations you can make for candidates to set them up for success. So we offer closed captioning for Zoom interviews. We also offer to split interviews over the course of a few days. Those are some of the more like common accommodations that we offer. And then I always like to like showcase who we are, what's our company culture, how are we an inclusive environment in the conversations that I have in a really organic way so that they can get a flavor of, you know, what it would be like to be a greenie. 
I think you're absolutely right. Small changes can go a long way. And I love the idea of prepping candidates ahead of interviews to help level the playing field. And there was something you mentioned in there too, that I just, I love, and I want to call it out where you were talking about how you wanted to, oh, how did you say it? It was, it was about like um, creating a a good space where you're, you're asking questions where you're not tricking them. That, yeah. You oh. said something along those lines. Yeah. So there's, there's this bias called trickster. And I see this on LinkedIn where people will post all the time, the trickster questions where they, <laughs> they're like, well, if I trick them, I'm going to see if they're actually a good person. And I'm like, okay, but are you focusing on what does the job actually call for? Or are you just tricking them to trick them because then you're creating bias? It's, I heard a story years ago about a CEO that like dressed up as an old cab driver and picked up these executives from the airport and purposely made them late to his house for these interviews. And that he wanted to see how they interacted with him as the cab driver. And that's how he based his hiring. But that's it's a trickster way of creating this environment that's not necessarily what their day to day would be like, but just things like that. Or tell me, give me, make a sandwich for me. Tell me the who, what, when, where, how, and why. And it's like, hey, how do, what does that have to do with the job? So I anyway, I love that you were saying like asking questions that are job related and not tricking them. I know. I think the the trickster thing is kind of an old school approach as well. Like, and I think when when you think about inclusive hiring practices. We want people to feel welcome. We want people to feel safe. We want people to like know what to expect. And, and hopefully that's what they would also have if they join your company. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Anita, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I have so many thoughts. I mean, I will always call a driver and a hairdresser as a reference for a senior leader. Always, mm -hmm. right? Like if I know them, actually, those are the people that I always befriend because I'm always hiring executives. The pool is very, very small. And if you know how their assistant feels about them, you'll know everything you need to know about them. And so I don't believe in the tricking. I believe in a strong network. And I believe in a strong network that's up, down, side to side and diagonal, in which case, like, I want to hear from the people that see them in their best and then their worst on how they're interacting with everybody. Because there's a lot of people, senior leaders that are very different to one set of people than another. And as a representation of our culture, I definitely want to know that. But I just I just want to double down on some things that Mason said that are um, really actionable that can help eliminate some of this bias and also help each other catch. Like if you have somebody that's still into this trickster thing, if you have a solid interview panel, you're going to be able to see that outlier as a recruiting manager or as, you know, the hiring manager. So if you have an interview panel, you're going to help to eliminate bias. You're going to be giving that panel the questions beforehand. You're going to be sending out an email before saying, hey, Vanessa Mason, you're interviewing this candidate. These are the things that I'd like you each to focus on independently. And I didn't get far enough in this topic. I'd like Mason for you to double down on this. And, and you're kind of going through helping them see what, what they can around these key competencies to make sure they are the most qualified candidate which I feel like we often miss through all of this, right? So you want to make a fair, equal process that allows to choose the talent that is best and most qualified for the job. And you do that through a strong interview panel. You do that through standardized interviews with questions and scorecards. So you're not giving freedom around questions and scorecards. I mean, I know this seems rigid, 
but this is the only way to ensure that there's a consistent and fair process. And then it's really important that if you sign up to be on a panel, that you also understand that it's your responsibility to respond in a timely manner around the scorecards, right? And I forget the statistic, Mason will tell me here, but I feel like it's 90% of the information that you take in that interview goes away in the first 24 hours. So I always block the 30 minutes following an interview on my calendar to fill out the scorecard. And that way I'm very present around what I'm doing. I'm doing my job for job for roles I'm not hiring for because that's most of the interviewing I do and make sure that I'm really being accurate about, about the talent that we're bringing in. I mean, some other things that you could think about is, you know, there's there's pros and cons around how you think about inclusivity and how it aligns with your mission and vision. Some people have goals around, you know, hiring minorities. I like to have a goal around belonging and a sense of belonging for candidates and team members, you know, so versus like targeting different groups, all things are good. So figure out what works best for you. But again, in the spirit of transparency, say what you're doing and saying why you're doing it. Because believe it or not, 30, I'm sorry, 76% of job seekers report that a diverse workforce is essential when evaluating a company's job offers. They're going to prioritize not just the number of diverse representation that you have, but also the value of inclusivity and belonging. And, you know, I'm back on this say-do ratio. They're going to feel it. And through the tips that Mason gave you, I would feel very included through that process because I can see that she's being very thoughtful in how she's including me. And if it's resident in the hiring process, I'm also going to test to make sure it's resident with all the other people that I meet around Greenhouse, right? Don't forget, you're interviewing that company just as much as they're interviewing you. So make sure you think about that bi-directionally as a candidate, as well as an interviewer. Yes, so much yes. <laughs> well, let's move on to our, our last section for the best ways to score an interview and a candidate. We've talked a bit about scoring already, but let's dig a little bit deeper. Anita, let's start with you. What have you done in the past that works well with scoring? So for me, it's really important that you have consistent scoring. Like you've all worked for that person that is like, if you have, you know, five is excellent and one is crappy, I will never give anybody a five. So one thing you're going to want to do as a hiring manager is a line that five looks like a demonstrated track record in like, let's say, okay, so I'm just going to back out of this conversation for one minute and I'm going to go back to our layered cake. Remember, we have a strategy on whether we're buying or building talent. Let's say in this case, we've decided to go buy a capability because we're expanding internationally and we feel like we need that. So a five of excellent would be like, hey, this leader has done international expansion in the geographies in which our strategy is telling us that we're going to. They have relationships and references in those regions that you can call. They have been able to give demonstrated examples of how they have built out a strategy for opening up a new office, building up a new region, expanding those customer contacts, expanding that R&D roadmap, all of those things. That's what a five would look like in this context. And you want to be able to explain what that is so that you get consistent scoring. Because if Mason only gives fours and I give fives, then you're not going to really be able to see who is the best, most qualified candidate. So you want to have like two main categories, competency factors and cultural factors. At Bamboo, we believe our values are a gate for performance, right? So I may have all of those competencies I just shared with you in the international example, but I may be the biggest a-hole you've ever met. 
So that's probably not going to work, you know, inside of our context of bamboo, or we want to assume the best, we want to be open, we want to do all of those things. So we want to bring people along. So I'm going to look for the how they delivered those results, not just the what they delivered. And that would be the five on the cultural competencies. And so getting people together, even doing a quick video, right? It would take 45 seconds to put this together and say, hey, Mason, Vanessa, you're on my panel for this international hire. This is how I want you to think about scoring, right? And this is how I want you to think about consistency and scoring competency and culture. Because it's so important. We always say culture fit. I actually hate that terminology. I think it's exclusive 100%. So I'm looking for a culture ad. And a culture ad in this job looks like this from competency and this from culture. Well, the the asset that you're referring to is, is, uh, first of all, really awesome. And we'll share it with everyone in the Slack channel when we're done with this episode. Mason, anything additional you want to add here as well? Yes. Uh, that resource is gold. It would have saved me hours in my last company uh, when I was working out a spreadsheet. So definitely take a look at that if you are working at a smaller organization without a platform like Greenhouse. I also think that timeliness matters. Like to Anita's point earlier, like bias creeps in the more time that passes. So strive to have timely feedback from your panel. Um, you know, Greenhouse has automatic reminders if people haven't completed it but you can own that responsibility. Follow up with people if they haven't completed it. I think that it can be good to have solutions for people who are really busy. Like Anita said, like add that block of time after for like very busy people that want to just send a voice memo, offer to transcribe it, put that into the scoring system yourself, be solution oriented, come up with solutions with those people so that you can solve the problem of getting timely feedback. And then I think, you know, to Anita's point, like Define the scoring system up front. At Greenhouse, we use a system that's from definitely no, no, strong yes, or yes, and then strong yes. Um, and that's built into the process, in, sorry, into the product. And we um, we look at each attribute. So we're when you're interviewing and you're focused on three to five attributes in that call, you score on those three to five attributes, definitely no to strong yes. And then you make your recommendation. It's not just oh, I really vibed with Anita in the call and like things were great. No, she was thoughtful. She was structured in her communication. It was easy to follow what she said. So those things align with the job description. So I think all the things that Anita said, just like big plus one, it's really important stuff. And then um, I think that always reminding your hiring team, like there's a reason why I'm asking you to do this. It's going to make your life easier. So like help me help you kind of vibe, but say it gently and, and with good energy. And hopefully that helps you get your feedback. Well, I love that. Well, I want to, there was one question in the Q and a that I just want to make sure we got answered that it came up a couple different times. And I wanted to just hit on it was around reference checking. So <laughs> I know Marla asked, how do you handle reference checking? Are they even necessary or helpful? Someone else asked about like hairdressers, how do we get someone other than a hairdresser as a reference? And, <laughs> but I'd love to get your quick thoughts on that. Cause it seemed to be repetitive as a question in there. Yeah. I'm happy to jump in real quick. Um, at greenhouse, we only do references for the director level and above. Um, so that's something that we reserve just for the leadership hiring that we do. But when we, you know, again, with setting expectations, if someone gets invited to the onsite in that prep call, I'm telling them if things go well here, you have a final round with our executive team. 
if, or, you know, someone from our executive team. And if that goes well, we'd love to check references. So I just want to plant the seed now, start thinking of your network, start thinking of who you'd want to ask. And, you know, after the onsite, if things go well, I share, you know, we're looking for someone like this. We're looking for someone you've managed. We're looking for someone who's managed you and really set the context. And then, you know, depending on the hiring manager, sometimes they want to check themselves. Sometimes they want to lean on the recruiter. So I always like to be flexible and adapt to the preference of the hiring manager. Yeah, I would just add a few things, double down on everything Mason said. I would say if you are hiring a director level of above, it is your responsibility as the hiring manager to check the reference and to do the call yourself. I will always do the calls myself because I really want to make sure that I am being very judicious with this very high level, high impact, expensive hire. And I will ask the same questions again, like it's the same process. I'll ask the same questions of every reference. I will be very thoughtful about who I'm calling, why I'm calling them, all of those things, because they're also another pool for you. They're another sourcing pool. There's a number of references that I've had great conversations with where it's like, I'm also looking for this role, if you know of anybody, or maybe you're interested yourself, right? So I use that as like an expand my network type piece. And then also just for a little bit more specificity, I want somebody that's managed them. I want a peer and I want a subordinate. I want a full 360 view. Um, for those senior leaders. So I'm a big fan for critical roles. So the type of roles that makes your product like tip over, individual contributors, right? So they're high impact individual contributors and people leaders. I think we should be doing reference calls for. Love it. Well, I know we're, before we wrap up with the three key takeaways, Anita, let's have you just kind of give your final thoughts and then Mason, uh, give your final thoughts after. I mean, I really just have two things. Use a structured interview process and write a kick-ass job description. Like you do those two things and you're going to be so much further down down the path and a scorecard. What do you think, Mason? Yeah, I would just say focus on candidate experience because the way that you treat people is your brand, your personal brand and the company brand. So be human, be kind, be generous. And um, you never know how you might cross paths with those folks again. Like Anita said, it could be a sourcing pool. It could you know, be someone you work with in the future. So keep that in mind. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the other side of the table of somebody that I've interviewed in the past. So kindness does spread. Do you want to wrap us up with the three takeaways and the outro? Yes. So they, my three takeaways were are the same as the ones that we shared with you. Standardize the interview process. Use clear job description language. Um, job leveling, you know, is a big hot button for me so that you're being consistent. You can go back and learn about leveling in one of our compensation episodes. Um, but I think that's important. And then, of course, a standard scorecard. Um, if you have, you know, a tool on yes, that's great. But for the majority of my career, my scorecards have been built in Google Sheets. So don't overcomplicate it. Just standardize the process. You can do it all in a Google Sheet or in a Word document. And as your hiring volume increases or complexity of hiring increases, you know, all the tools, especially Greenhouse is excellent at putting these together to make your hiring process more seamless for you and the hiring manager. Thanks for joining us today. It's been so great to be with you all. I really want to do a special shout out to Mason. Your knowledge, your thoughtfulness, the way you approach things is so brilliant. Thank you for coming in and sharing with our heroes all of the great tips and tricks on finding the next great talent out there because we all want to work at great places and we want to work for great leaders and organizations. So thank you for being with us today. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. I feel like we could chat all day. Let's let's hang out after. <laughs> I know. Seriously, let's do this again for sure. Should we do our final yoga pose before we do the outro? Yeah. Let's uh let's find our feet and then just bring your hands in front of your heart, palms pressing together. And if you want, just close your eyes for a moment and feel the pressure between your palms. Just noticing how your hands connect to one another. Maybe open your eyes, hands down by your side. You just did yoga. You just meditated. Who knew? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mason. Thank you, Vanessa, for being an awesome co-host as always. Please join us on hrunplugged.com. Subscribe to our series. And you can always see everything we've given to you in past formats. Also, get on HR Heroes. Slack channel. And that way we can share all these tools with you there. Please leave us a review because we want to hear what you like and what we want more of and what you want less of. But until then, go out and keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much for all you're doing out there for all the people in the world. And great to be with you all. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambi HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 